0: Well, we're getting ready for things all the time, aren't we? Uh, We all got ready to come here this morning, some of us better than others. Uh, Hopefully during the week you read Matthew chapters 5 to 7 in order to get ready for this Bible talk. Uh, We get ready for dinner, we get ready for having friends come over. It seems that we're always getting ready for something. This morning as we pick up Matthew where we left it last week, we see Jesus trying to get Israel ready. Uh, Jesus has come to bring in the kingdom of heaven, and the first thing that he needed to do was to get Israel ready for it. So come with me to chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, we briefly looked at these words last week. Uh, hopefully you remember that Jesus has uh, deliberately just moved towns in order to fulfil words of the Old Testament, and then in verse 17 we read, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, Jesus is deliberately living in the land of Israel, and the first thing he does is preach to Israel, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we know that he's addressing Israel with this call because of where he's living, and also because in chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And as Jesus begins his ministry among them, clearly all's not well in israel because jesus has to call on them to repent israel needed to change their minds they needed to change their lives israel needed an overhaul in the way that they were living before god because if god's rule was about to come the kingdom of heaven well then they needed to fall into line with god before it was too late Which brings us to chapters 5 to 7, where Jesus teaches Israel what their repentance needs to look like. We're looking at the so-called Sermon on the Mount, uh, three chapters of Jesus' teaching, where Jesus speaks to Israel's heart and he calls Israel back to God. He's calling on them to repent. And you can see it from the very first words of his teaching. So look at it with me there, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So the poor in spirit, according to Jesus, will be blessed. In other words, they'll have God's approval. But who are the poor in spirit? Clearly it's not the financially poor. Uh, Jesus isn't talking about those with no money because it's the poor in spirit, And this is very similar language to places like Isaiah uh, 57 and Isaiah 66 where the contrite in spirit are esteemed by God. So those filled with remorse over the things that they've done wrong, the poor in spirit are those who are troubled by their sin. They are broken. They are contrite, which helps make sense of verse 4 because in verse 4 it's those who mourn who are blessed. Well, Mourning over what? They're mourning over their sin. Can you see how Jesus is addressing Israel's heart? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the first thing Israel needs to do is to acknowledge their sin. And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus then continues to address Israel's heart because it's one thing for them to mourn over their sin. But if that's all they do... Well, then nothing will change, will it? And so Jesus keeps going. Verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, Jesus here is calling on Israel to have a heart that longs for righteousness. Now, the righteousness spoken of here is talking about a way of life. So, a righteous life is a life that is lived rightly. Before God. And so Jesus is saying to Israel the ones who have God's blessing are the ones who long to live his way, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. In fact, Israel is to be so hungry for righteousness that they'll willingly suffer for it. Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you see how Jesus is addressing Israel's heart here? He's not calling on them for a quick, superficial repentance. He's calling on them to despise their sin, to weep over their sin, and to crave righteousness. Now, what would that righteousness look like? If Israel was to turn back to God with their heart, what would that mean? Well, in Jesus' day... A heart longing for the things of God meant living according to the law. It meant keeping things like the Ten Commandments and the book of Deuteronomy. Because at the time of Jesus, the old covenant still stood. God's law was still in place. And so with Jesus calling on Israel to repent, he called them back to the law, to live in obedience to the law. So look at it there from verse 17. Verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus is calling Israel back to the law as it was always meant to be lived out, to live according to the law in full, not in a superficial way, not just trying to obey the letter of the law, but to live according to the heart of the law, to crave righteousness. Come down to verse 20. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That would have been a shocking thing for the Jews of Jesus' day to hear. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were considered to be the most righteous people around. They were considered to be the most righteous, the most religious, the most God-honouring people in all of Israel. But according to Jesus, they're not righteous at all. And as we read on, we see it's because when it comes to the law, they only wanted to obey it as little as possible. They kept themselves to the letter of the law not the heart of the law. Have you ever met those type of people? Uh, You might be one of those type of people. So, you know, if you're down at the town pool and you see the sign that says, you know, no bombing. So by the letter of the law, you cannot bomb into the pool. But that doesn't mean you can't belly flop or somersault or whatever else you can come up with that's not technically bombing. That's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and how they lived under God's law. They reduced it to its narrowest, strictest meaning in order to justify all kinds of things. Their hearts weren't in it at all. And Jesus calls them out on it. That's not righteousness. That's minimalistic, legalistic self-justification. And that is not what Jesus is calling Israel to at all. He's calling on them to repent. And to turn to God wholeheartedly, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in Jesus' day, for Israel, that would mean applying God's law to their lives in every way possible. A maximum application of God's law on their lives. And for the rest of chapter 5, Jesus then gives them some examples of what a maximum application of God's law will look like. So pick it up now in verse 21. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So the law says, Do not murder. But what would a maximum application of that law look like? Well, Jesus says, You don't even be angry. So Jesus is addressing Israel's heart here, isn't he? Someone who's thirsting for righteousness won't be satisfied with just not murdering anyone. They won't even get angry with them. Jesus keeps addressing their hearts in verse 23. Verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. See, under the law, Israel was required by God to come to the temple and to offer him gifts. And Jesus says, if you're having a fight with one of your fellow Israelites, don't show up before God and pretend that everything's fine. It's just a facade. Deal with your heart. So first, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come to the altar and offer your gift as the law requires. Jesus does the same again, uh, this time with the law on adultery. Down to verse 27. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so the law says don't commit adultery. But if Israel was to crave righteousness, if their hearts were going to be turned to God, then they wouldn't settle for just not doing the act of adultery. A maximum application of the law would mean not even looking at a woman lustfully. Jesus then calls them to a maximum application of their divorce laws. Verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So yes, the Old Testament law allowed for Israel to divorce with the writing of a certificate, but Jesus says for Israel to apply this law to the max would mean they'd only divorce under the most extreme of circumstances. Jesus just keeps on going. He does the same thing in applying Israel's laws on oaths in verses 33 to 37 and then on the laws on revenge in verses 38 to 42. This one's an interesting one. Have a look at that one. Israel's Old Testament law said, look at it there in verse 38, verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So the Old Testament law allowed for payback. Eye for an eye. And so what would a maximum application of this law look like? Well, it still involves payback. It's just that you pay them back good for evil. They want your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Don't want to hit your right cheek, give him your left cheek as well. You seeing the pattern? Whether Jesus is talking about Israel's laws of murder or adultery or divorce or revenge or oaths or loving your neighbour, whatever it is, he calls on them to apply those laws as much as possible. Not just to live by the letter of the law, not just a superficial token nod towards God, but to be the people who genuinely repent with hearts for God, weeping over their sin and craving righteousness and so obeying the law as much as possible. And as we move into chapter 6, Jesus just doesn't let up. He is still addressing Israel's heart. And in chapter 6, Jesus looks into Israel's motivations for living righteously. Because genuine thirsting for righteousness would mean Israel living according to the law of God in order to honour God. Their righteousness wasn't to be lived out so that they could look good to the people around them. They weren't to obey the law so that others would think highly of them. They were to live righteous lives for the praise of God, not men. Jesus summarizes this point before expanding on it. So let's see the principle first, chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. To be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. As Jesus calls Israel to a righteousness of wholehearted obedience to the law, he says, Make sure you're careful not to do it in order to look good. Don't use the law, he says to Israel. Don't use the law to show off to others so that they'll see how righteous you are. No, use the law to honour God. Again, he's addressing Israel's heart. Jesus applies this first to their giving to the needy. So verse 2, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Under the law, Israel was to look after the needy. And so Jesus tells them, when you do, give in such a way that you don't draw attention to yourself. Live out your righteousness before God for his praise, not for the praise of men. It's the same again when it comes to their praying. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. As Israel hungered for righteousness, they'd pray as the law told them to, but Jesus warns them, don't twist your praying, to be an opportunity for showboating you know don't wax on with long and lengthy prayer so that people will think you're super righteous no pray to God for God's sake not yours that's one reason why the prayer Jesus then teaches them to pray is all about God being seen to be great you know it's God's name that is to be honored God's kingdom that is to come not theirs Jesus applies the same thing again to their fasting. Verse 16 now. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Under the law, Israel was required to fast at various times. And so Jesus tells Israel, when you fast, true righteousness will mean not using your fasting to make yourself look good. You see the pattern? It's the same thing each time. Jesus keeps saying to Israel, don't obey God's law so you can show everyone how righteous you are. That's not righteousness. That's not a heart craving for the things of God, for the honour of God. That's just using the law to show off. From verse 19, Jesus then expands this principle of living righteously for God's sake. And he applies it to how Israel used their money and their attitudes about greed and We haven't got time to look at it all now, but he closes off his call to Israel to repent by making it clear to them that they have to make a choice. In chapter 7, Jesus speaks about Israel having to choose between two things, either to repent and join him in the kingdom of heaven or not. So Jesus speaks of going through a narrow gate or a wide gate. Jesus speaks of being like a good tree bearing good fruit or a bad tree bearing bad fruit. He speaks of being like a man who builds his house on the rock or the man who builds his house on the sand. Israel needed to make a choice. We're just going to look at the first one about the gates in verses, verse 13 of chapter 7. Look at verse 13. Jesus says to Israel, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only few find it. To so Jesus here is giving Israel an ultimatum. They needed to make a choice. And there was the easy choice, you know, that's the wide gate, the broad road, and that's just to keep on going with their religious farce to just continue on with their superficial obedience to the law. So, you know, fasting but doing it to look good. Not murdering but still hating others. Not committing adultery but still lusting after others. So no change, no repentance, no mourning over sin, no thirsting for righteousness, just religious self-justification. And Jesus says it's the easy road and it leads to destruction. Or they could repent. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it for them. It's not going to be easy, he says. It's the small gate. It's the narrow road. It's the acknowledgement of their sin. The despising of their sin. It's the craving for righteousness. It's the maximum application of the law to their lives. It's the wholehearted obedience to the law for God's honour, not theirs. And Jesus says this would lead them to life. Whew, time to take a breath. How are we going? I covered a lot of ground, haven't we? Let's just take a step back and see what we've seen, okay? Jesus is calling on Israel to repent. And wouldn't it have been fantastic if Israel pulled it off, if Israel listened to Jesus' words and took them on board? There are some really wonderful things that Jesus has to say in there, isn't there? No one even hating anyone else. No lust, let alone adultery, responding to evil with good. Loving your enemies, it it sounds terrific, doesn't it? It would have been fantastic if Israel lived like this. So did they? Did Israel hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice? Well, sorry for the spoiler, but as we keep reading on in Matthew's book, they most certainly did not. We get to the end of Matthew's gospel and Israel come together, they form a mob, they string Jesus up, Impaling him on bits of wood with six inch nails. These words of Jesus fell on deaf ears. That's how Israel responded. What about us? Are we any better? Of all the peoples on the planet, if anyone was going to live a righteous life before God, if anyone was going to be obedient to God, it was going to be Israel because they had the very laws of God and yet even they failed. And so what hope do we have? None. On our own, in our own strength, no one hungers for righteousness like this. No hate, no lust, repaying evil with good, loving your enemies friends on our own by ourselves there's no way we come close to what jesus says here and so how should we respond to jesus teaching well the first thing we should do is fall on our knees and beg for mercy we fall so far short of what god demands of us and as we Read these chapters, Christ's word should drive us to our knees, asking God for forgiveness. And of course, the wonderful promise is that God will forgive us. As we saw last week, why did Jesus come? He came to save his people from their sins. He died to save us. But not only that, God also promises to give his people new hearts, God come to his people living with them by his spirit to make them new on the inside God changes our hearts so that now we do want to obey God as much as we can wholeheartedly in every way those who have the spirit of God we don't obey God just because we have to it's not just duty it's definitely not drudgery By the Spirit of God, we desire to obey God. And so how should we respond to these words of Christ? We should also thank God for his Spirit. We should thank him for giving us new hearts. And we should pray that he'll keep changing us and that we'll keep longing for God and for his ways, craving righteousness. Now, friends, in the spirit of Jesus calling on Israel to repent, let me finish with a couple of words of warning. First off, being the people of God and having his spirit, being given new hearts, let me warn you, expect change. You will be different. You won't be satisfied with the same old, same old when it comes to how you're living. You'll be hungering and thirsting and craving righteousness to live for God as much as you can. You will change. And secondly, a word of warning to you, if things like church are things you do just to keep up appearances. If you say the right things when you're around Christians, if you do the right things when others are around, but it's all just a bit of a show, then the only people you are fooling is us. God sees straight through you. You don't want to be like Israel, who did the religious thing in order to look good for others. They didn't have a heart for God. They just did the God things in ways that suited them don't fall into that trap you don't want to be like that god sees straight through your facade and the good news is that he's willing to forgive and god will give you a new heart where you genuinely long for him and his ways and friends all you have to do is ask Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into our own, our own hearts, we are aware of our own sin. And Father, we thank you that Christ Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so we pray to you again, just acknowledging that you are right and we are wrong. And that it's only by your son that we could be washed clean and made, made right with you. And so we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we also thank you for the gift of your very own self. Your spirit come to be with us, to change us, to give us new hearts that long for you. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would do that great work within us. Father, give us an unsettledness in our hearts that we would long and yearn for more of you and your righteousness. Father, that we would crave the things of you and not be satisfied with the things of this world or the old ways of doing things, but that, Father, in every way, we would gladly, humbly, wholeheartedly give ourselves for you and for your glory and for your honour. So, Father, we, we thank you for your Son We thank you for your spirit and pray that you would continue your good work in us until your son comes in glory. And we ask it in his name. Amen.